Richard Reed, your fellow of St. Cross and Professor of African History, University of Oxford. Um, you've recently come to Oxford and St. Cross, so it'll be interesting to, to hear a bit about your backstory. Uh, thanks very much, Stanley. Yes, I um, came here just uh, last summer after quite a few years at uh, SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, uh, and um, before that I was at Durham. And um, it was time, I think, to move out of London, um, go somewhere slightly um, more interesting, I think, than SOAS had, had, had become at that, at that point, at least um, from my point of view. And um, the appointment was attached to St. Cross, um, traditionally, um, my predecessor, uh, Jan Georg Deutsch, um, had been um, connected to the college, and I'm his um, replacement. So I've been an Africanist for 20, 25 years, depending what we, what we count. Um, and um, that's essentially where I've, I, I've come from. Oh, fantastic. Um, how... It's early days yet, I'm sure, but how do you see or how has St. Cross started to fit into your life? How do you see things going? For the first few months, it's been um, something of a haven, to be honest, um, away from the, uh, the hurly-burly of the faculty. Um, I've, I've always found St. Cross a wonderfully calm, quiet place, almost serene, possibly apart from lunch times. <laughs> Um, but it is a wonderful place to come and relax. I, I, I love St. Giles. I love this particular stretch of uh, Oxford. You kind of walk through the crowds of tourists and stuff just at the bottom of the road. And then you escape in here. And I, I, I've come to see it as, as, as a kind of safe place, a happy place to come away from um, uh, the stresses of central, uh, central Oxford. And I do very much associate it also with um, my predecessor, uh, Jan Georg, um, who was a good friend of mine. And in fact, he ran a, a conference here uh, a few years ago on Africa and the global 19th century, um, which was a wonderful symposium. And um, I associate him so much with St. Cross. Um, we spent quite a few happy hours uh, in this place. And uh, he has, there are some big shoes to fill there. Um, and I, I, I only hope that looking ahead, I'll be able to come mm. close to doing that. Yeah, of course, we, you know, um, George was uh, well loved at, uh, at St. Cross and, and it meant a huge amount to him. And uh, it's, uh, it's really good to hear that uh, um, you, 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 you can remember him in this way. Mm. Um, yeah, um, he brings back... Uh, um, a lot of good memories. Um, and that said, um, you know, George was, was doing uh, colonial history. Um, is that the kind of line that you're following, or are you moving the post into, a, into different directions? Let's uh, hear a bit about what you're, what you're, what you're doing. Sure. Um, yes, Georg um, was a more of a historian of colonial Africa, which I am not. Um, <clears throat> I do the bits at either end. Uh, in a sense. Um, I began predominantly as a historian of pre-colonial Africa, which is broadly defined as everything before about 1880 or 1900 at a push. Um, and certainly that's what the earlier part of my career was, was focused on, which was essentially trying to reconstruct 
um, Africa in the 18th and 19th century. Um, my area has always been East Africa. Um, and in recent times, that has included uh, Uganda, on which I've uh, recently published um, a, a, a monograph. Um, and in recent years, I've moved to the other end of the temporal spectrum, as it were, and um, have tried to link that work with uh, the, the, the pre-colonial work with um, modern armed struggle, uh, particularly in the Horn of Africa, so Ethiopia, Eritrea. Um, and very broadly, um, my focus has been on violence, um, in particular the practice and culture of, of war. And I suppose my ultimate objective has long been to, of course, consider its destructive elements, but to think in terms of how war can also be constructive um, and how it actually produces particular types of social, economic and political um, change, but also how it is remembered. Um, one of the strands that has emerged for me in the last six, seven, eight years is, is memory. Um, one of the things that's long interested me is the way in which Africa's history often becomes foreshortened. There isn't very much interest in certain quarters in the pre-colonial past. Uh, and this to me is a, uh, a travesty and a great pity because uh, we cannot understand a great many of uh, Africa's modern circumstances without appreciating those deeper roots. Um, there are some methodological challenges, of course. We, we have problems with source materials um, for the um, uh, earlier 19th century, for example. But I've long attempted to reconstruct the history of war almost from a constructivist um, point of view, to, lo to look at the ways in which war has mattered, uh, not just, if I can put it crudely, the, the, the kind of mythology of, of the dark continent with involving lots of tribes throwing yeah. spears at one another. But these were actually um, uh, meaningful uh, cultures of violence that, 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 that shaped um, politics um, down to the present day. Um, laterally, I've become very interested in personal experiences um, and indeed the existential anxiety brought about by exposure to violence. Um, and that particularly relates to my work in um, Eritrea it's no longer possible to do very much work in Eritrea. It's a very closed up um, uh, uh, little state in northeast Africa, often described as the North Korea uh, of Africa. But I spent many years there. I lived there for a time. Um, and um, I'm drawing a lot on that material uh, recently to think about um, how war actually affects people Mm. on a day-to-day -day, um, uh, basis. Okay. Can I ask you a little bit about methods? I mean, you spent, you've, you've lived in Eritrea, you've spent a long time in intense engagement in, in, in East Africa. Can you just tell us a little bit more about you know, what you did, where you went? Mm. Well, in, um, in Eritrea, um, I spent quite a few years at the university there, in fact. Um, a university which has since been closed down um, for political reasons. 
Um, the great advantage of that was that um, I had access to people and materials that um, visiting researchers would struggle to get access to. So a great deal of my work was actually oral. Um, um, I did lots of, I call them interviews, in fact they were really conversations and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's actually quite undesirable to record people. So I, I would, um, I would talk to all sorts of different kind of demographic groups um, and write up notebooks which I've kept over, over many years. Um, so a lot of my work was related to the experience of um, uh, a recent armed struggle. Eritrea just became independent in 1991. So when I first went out there in the mid-90s, that was very much in recent memory. And it was really an exercise in um, historical imagination from my point of view. Uh, while I was there, Eritrea went to war again. And um, to some extent, I feel at least that I got caught up in that war. And that was a war with Ethiopia between 1998 and 2000, although actually just in 2018 it was formally ended after quite a few years of, of, of a tense standoff. Um, and the result of being there during the war was that um, I was often seen as someone who could be relied upon uh, by the Ministry of Information to go and interview people on the front line or near the contested border areas. And, and so I used a lot of that material. Possibly this was not what the Ministry of Information had in mind, but I used that material to um, consider the long-term impact of violence on Eritrean state and society. Okay. So meaning-making, memorialization... Um, I'm aware that there's a lot of memorialization going on in the world, especially in the in the global south. And do you see um, your work fitting into that sort of bigger bigger agenda of memorialization? Yes, um, it certainly didn't it didn't begin that way, um, mm. but I can see that it fits with with that with that context and within within African um, history more broadly, there is increasingly an interest, and this is certainly true of East Africa, in um, local intellectual cultures and um, local practices of history and uh, memorialization. What the past actually means to particular actors. Um, to some extent, this has also been true of my work in, uh, in Uganda. Um, so yes, I... I um, I've never seen myself as a particularly fashionable historian, but sometimes um, you find that your work kind of coincides with much, fa much more fashionable work taking place um, elsewhere. Okay, fantastic. Um, I mean, you know, history is important. What makes your work particularly important, and, and who do you see as it being important to? Presumably the people of Eritrea, for example, mm. um, the people that are engaged um, or have been engaged in, in violent conflict. Yes. Um, it's, it's an increasingly fraught question for me. Um, we all, of course, think that what we do is important, uh, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's, it's, it, it isn't. I think... Um, Scholars of Africa really need to be focusing their work on African audiences, and that's not always easy to do. Um, 
in terms of publishing and and um, uh, having Africans able to access your what what you do actually publish that that's a long running issue um, in in my field, but certainly when I write, I do think about my Eritrean uh, audience. I think about my Ugandan audience. Um, in terms of its broader um, significance, I think. Um, the study of violence is, is, if you like, one of the last frontiers of what I think of as dark continent mythology. One of those, those last bastions, I think, of late 19th century racism, um, according to which Africans, when they go to war, don't do so with any higher, any higher objective. It, there, there are, it, it doesn't produce any great art. Uh, it's um, it, it, it's it's uh, it, it's mired in a barbarism uh, from which the West has long since moved on. That persists, I think, in some quarters. And I, I, I suppose I've always had at least half an eye on a policy audience. That doesn't always work, but um, I have done uh, consultancies over the years with uh, the Foreign Office and other... Um, uh, um, uh, agencies uh, globally, the State Department in the US, where I try to bring some of the history in there and try to explain essentially the rationality behind, uh, behind the, um, the violence. Um, and ultimately, perhaps it's a conceit, um, but I do try to put into the public domain ideas about how uh, deeper cultures and experiences and practices of violence shape modern societies. Um, you asked me earlier about the, you know, Jan Georg's work on colonial Africa. Um, I've long tried to take a long durée approach, so looking for the, the deeper roots of modern Africa. Can we actually trace certain cultures and practices back to the pre-colonial past? Um, and I think in many uh, in many areas of activity, I believe I believe we can, and that to me is the most relevant part of of, of what I do. Okay, uh, yeah, you have a, a deep intellectual journey here, so um, I'd like to ask you what what are you developing um, at Oxford that you were not able to do before? What is it more of what you've done before? Is there a, is there a refocusing? Do you have things that you would you know, ideally like to do? I do. Um, it's, it's a bit of both. Some of it is um, a, a further development of stuff I've, I've done before. Um, one thing I'm finishing at the moment um, is a kind of memoir, which um, historians are not really supposed to write. Um, but this is a first person, i.e. my accounts of the Eritrean-Ethiopian War that I, I mentioned. It's not about me, um, but it's, it's, it's based on my conversations with, with Eritreans and Ethiopians during the war and, and their thoughts on the past. And it's uh, possibly more journalistic than scholarly, although I'm increasingly uncomfortable with these, with these categories. Um, and... For some reason, which I'm not entirely sure about, but coming to Oxford has enabled me, has given me the space to think about that in a way that where I was before, I wasn't able to. Um, the other thing that Oxford um, has inspired is a 
um, a desire to consider Africa more globally. Uh, one of our most successful programs within the history faculty is the Global and Imperial MST. Um, and it strikes me that a lot of the literature that, that students work on when they come here to, 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 to take that program is rooted in China and in India, uh, Southeast Asia. And I want to position Africa much more centrally within that, uh, that, um, that debate. Um, so the thing that I'm hoping to develop over time is um, a revisiting of the partition of Africa in the late 19th century from a global perspective, but, th but thinking about it not just in terms of you know, a European conquest narrative, which is, which is often what we have uh, in the literature, but rather thinking about Africa's long global 19th century, in many ways inspired by that symposium that I mentioned earlier that Jan Georg uh, organized. And that got me thinking about the ways that we can reposition Africa globally. Um, its 19th century is an extraordinary period of transformation, and yet it is often overshadowed by what comes next, which is the building of European empires um, in the continent. Um, and I want to get into that shadow and, and reconstruct Africa's 19th century. So in other words, to see uh, the partition of the continent as part of an African project of reformation, if you like, uh, not just a, uh, uh, an exercise in European imperialism. Okay, Richard Reed, fantastic to hear you share your journey and your intellectual passions. Thank you very much. Thank you.